Welcome to the Next Step Business Podcast. I'm Bob Camp, your host. For each podcast, I'm inviting successful business leaders to discuss strategy, execution, high-performing teams, innovation, and more. Join us to learn more about getting the business you want and living life on your terms. I want to welcome today Kelly Schrod, who's the chairman and founder of Data Vision, but I know he's doing more things today, and he's got a great story, I think, that very few business owners and business founders actually achieve, and then the, I'll call it the bigger life after. So, Kelly, can you tell us first a little bit about who you are, what made you who you are, and then we'll dig into your story about the business. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Bob. I appreciate it. And good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Kelly Schrod. I'm the founder and owner of Data Vision. It's an IT company based in Nebraska. And uh, just a little bit of background about me. I grew up on a farm in uh, northeast Nebraska. My dad raised pigs and cattle and all the things that the farm life brings to you. And part of that process, I think, of making me who I am today is centered around what I learned growing up on the farm and the worth at work involved with that. If anybody's been around a farm, the work pretty much does not stop. It's a seven-day-a-week business, and it's pretty much required. Otherwise, things don't get fed. So it's uh, it's just interesting how that kind of correlates later in your life. Yeah, so that's essentially who I am. I, I have, I'm, I've been married for 20 years. I have five kids, four boys and a girl, two of which are moving on to college, and looking probably soon to be empty nesters here shortly. Oh, wow. Congratulations on that. One of the things I wanted to say is I first met you was what, maybe four years ago? Yeah, I think 15 or 16, probably somewhere in there or 16. So that's been a little while back, actually. But one of the things I really recognized about you, and you could tell me if this is true, one was that you really cared about the people in your company. And two you're you're constantly open learning and building that into your business. And so is that is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think growing up, my growing up were in the environment that I grew up on a farm and the parents that I had, they both instilled a reasonable amount of uh, humbleness and humility into my life and I think that's just carried on into my professional career. And I really carry, I really care about people. I, I guess looking at why Data Vision was started, I'm a network engineer by profession. I was seeing this thing where people would rise up to a certain level. And if anybody's familiar with the small MSP practice, you get to a point and then you got to make a decision. Do I want to work on little business stuff or do I want to grow my career further? And I, I wanted to grow my career further and that wasn't an opportunity for me where I was at. And I thought, how cool would it be to create a company where people could come in at that level, enter into their career and build this business strategy around the ability to move from a smaller business practice into the larger practices, which affords more deeper skill sets, higher end skill sets and ability to grow your income and so forth. That was the premise around data vision. But back to your question around the the people. So the founding of that business was centered around that concept of taking care of people throughout their career. And so I really wanted to surround my people, surround myself with people I enjoy working with. And to this day, everyone at Data Vision, I really enjoy working with. I go to, I'm not involved in a day-to-day -day basis 
or even a month to month basis really right now, but I still go to house warmings. I still open houses from my for people that work at data vision kids events. I just really enjoy the human factor of business. That was one of the things that, that really struck me when I was there was you, know, you said humility earlier, but it was also this sincerity of walking the talk. It wasn't just somebody saying people are important. It was really core to how you built the processes in the business, how you thought about you know, career development for everyone. And when you hired or when you put people into management roles, that was one of the key pieces that you wanted to see in them too. So that was a critical piece. One thing I wanted to really start this conversation off with is you've made this transition from a technical person to being a business owner to going all the way through this path now being a chairman and not being involved in the business day to day. But how would you explain those levels of what you've gone through and the key lessons maybe of if you could dig into each a little bit that you've walked out with. Yeah. So the, the, so just so I'm clear, like it's, it's centered around the transition of those different aspects of it operating in the business to out getting out of the business. Yeah. it's interesting as you look back at that. So kind of talking about the journey a little bit. I remember getting the first contract at Data Vision and having a 97 Saturn. And I just basically started driving up to do this job at a small company called Kellogg and got some opportunity out of that. And they expanded my ability to operate into other businesses out after um, that work was done. And so I built something up and then immediately tried to replace myself. And I think it was just a series of replacement myself and making a lot of mistakes along the way. <laughs> so, and I learned tremendously through each of those processes and journeys. And, and I took myself back and really reflected on what I learned as I transitioned through each of those phases. So I would say the first phase was birthing of this thing and getting it off the ground and then finding a network of people finding a network of customers and kind of bonding that all together under one umbrella and vision and then just replacing myself. And the first replacement of myself um, was in the first contract. And the next replacement of myself was running certain aspects of the business, for instance, sales. So I hired a salesperson. And then another aspect is accounting and finance and payroll. So you get to a certain point where there's it's not efficient to take time on a Saturday afternoon just to do payroll twice a week. It's actually somebody that actually needs to do that on a regular basis. So transitioning through that, there's very few roles in my business, I guess, like looking back that I hadn't participated in some sort of fashion. And so that I love learning. So it just lended itself to me being able to learn a lot of different things along the and so you operate in the business and then you start pulling yourself out a little bit at a time. And it's a gradual process, in my opinion. You get this thing finally off the ground and it's got legs and it starts to go in the direction you want it to go. And then you start to learn that you just you can't keep your arms completely around the whole thing all the time. And so it just gets bigger if outside of your controlling abilities. And then so you learn through that process, too. And I learned made a lot of mistakes in that journey of bringing on certain types of people who I felt were who, who actually needed to be leaders. But my mindset was around coming out of in the business to a place where I needed to replace myself. 
And so that thought changes from hiring people that have a skill to hiring people that have a personality type and a drive and motivation that's above and beyond just being even a skilled person in that area. And so you transition through that and I hired people that were not the right people along the way and had to let people go and learn through that process. I hired salespeople and built a sales team and then eventually hired my, pushed my best salesperson into the sales manager role and learned that whole lesson around that just does not work. Most, I mean, it may work for some people sometimes, but most of the time it doesn't work because they're, they're just a different type of animal than what a sales manager needs to be. And so you learn through that. And then you get to a point where you have a bunch of, a great group of people and some mid-level managers in place. And you say, you know what, I want to start pulling myself out even more and more. So you form a leadership team. And my first mistake around building a leadership team was putting those very, just looking at my business and going, okay, I need something over this area. And just picking people internally and putting them in those positions. And learned very quickly that being elevating yourself to a leader is a journey and it needs development. And so I had to re- revisit that and think about that and people changed. And But anyway, we grew through that and we got to a point where we have a solid leadership team, people d- growing the same direction. And I'll credit some of that to the EOS process. So I was part of Vistage in about 2014, 15. I heard about EOS I and mean, that's, this is the traction system by Gina. And so I decided to look at putting that in place. We tried to self-implement for about six months and finally figured out that doesn't work. Got an implementer, really helped us through getting it in place. And through that whole process, at the same time, was figuring out what type of leaders I actually needed on my leadership team. And so it, it was a journey. Along the way, I was learning an incredible amount of things in a short period of time. And so a full circle today, we got a leadership team in place. We got the vision, traction. We're still working through a few things around strategy and even some down-level people and the mid-level managers in the right places. And it's just, it's an evolving journey, but I'm confident I've got the right team in place today to take it where it needs to go. So that afforded me to step out and evaluate other options in my life. When you were bringing people together in that leadership space, what were some of the lessons you think were really important out of that? Yeah. So along the journey, the the, the implementation of US and the lessons, as I look at that, again, really understanding the right type of leader that would fit in the organization. So EOS has this thing called uh you know, right seat on the bus. Now, am I, first of all, am, am I, do I fit the core values? Do I understand the vision? Do I agree with the vision? Am I on the right bus? And then if, then it's a seat fitting. Am I in the right role? Is the role defined clearly? So sometimes we have people in the right roles who we thought that what they were doing was correct, but we didn't have the seat clearly, you know, defined clearly. So that's on, that was on the, on us to, to define that better. And then along the way, we had people that said they understood and wanted to see the vision happen, but really got into the seat and started to go down a different path. And so you think there's a trust building process by putting people on the leadership team. 
And all at the same time, I'm really trying hard as a person to let go of the company or let what they say, let go of the vine and step out. And so building trust in the people that I'm bringing in, I have had some, I had some issues where trust was broken and I had to replace people. And so it's just a journey that you learn through. And you finally get to a point where you're confident you've got the right people are headed the right direction. And then there's another phase and I, I'm sure there'll be other phases beyond where we're at today. <clears throat> That's a really, you know, a couple key points there you made and just wanted to restate this element of there's a fine line between giving trust and being able to trust. And, and as a, a business owner, it is so important that you put the right leadership team in place for this, to, you know, survivability and success of the company and, and to do the things that, and you, you went back to, yeah, are they, do they really buy into the vision and really leading with that vision? And then the whole thing around core, you know, values and let's, I know that's really important to you as values. Can you explain a little bit more about maybe how you got to that? And then we want to talk about what you're doing today, because I find very interesting the whole space that you're playing in today, because when you know we're working with our clients, it all starts with values. That's where it's most important before you sit down and figure out what your goals are to make sure your people are all on the same page. Yeah. <clears throat> so as part of the EOS journey, in one of the vision building days, if I remember correctly, you go through this process of trying to determine what your core values are. And it's interesting going through that process because as an owner, you start going down the path of thinking about what your core values should be, maybe not necessarily what they are. And so I think there's an important distinction there that <clears throat> we learned along the way is taking a look at who those core key individuals are and what are some of the attributes that they possess. And so we keyed in on that and understood that as much as we could and put some common themes together around some things and arrived at the values that we have today. Data Vision's core values are extreme ownership, teamwork, customer driven, curiosity. And the interesting thing about those values are as you lay them out in a row, there's some there's some there's some opposites involved. There's some kind of you can be an extreme owner type personality, and we have some of those individuals, but maybe they're uh, light on the curiosity side. So there's a balancing act that you go through to really hone in on what those core values mean, and so that you can evaluate fairly and honestly to provide that feedback to them. So, yeah, it's a continuous process of figuring that out, but. At the same time, you get to a point where it's about 80%, pretty close to what those are, and then you start keying on those individuals. And then once you start going through the individuals that fit, and then there's obviously folks that just don't fit, and it just, once you get through that process, it just makes life a lot easier because people that not necessarily think the same way, but operate under the same context of the values in their lives in the company provides a certain atmosphere that everybody's operating under. You still want, we still want diversity in thought, but we want to, we want those core things about the company to be there. And that's part of the curiosity side, right? Diversity of thought is being open to and, and interested in what other idea or what other perspective someone might bring to it. Going through the process of instilling disciplines in the organization, 
like doing, you know, your visioning work, you know, and, and in planning and then execution, when did core values come into that? Was that the very beginning or did that come in a little bit later when you recognize that there's a piece here that we still need? It, it comes in the beginning. And I believe the reason for that is the people that are doing this work, going through this process, are the leadership team members. And you can remember, when you're first going through this process, they are the leadership team members as the owner, typically, you've picked and who think should be in those seats. And so, so the focus is in the beginning, and you're learning of that about the organizations and bringing that out. And then you're starting to go through a process where you have to face reality pretty hard. Are those the folks that need to be in those seats? Because it's important to have that up front as much as possible. And we didn't get it right in the beginning. We got two or three members. We had, I think I had seven people on the leadership team in the beginning. And of those seven people, one person's on it today. And we had, number one, we had way too many people for the size of company we are on the leadership team. So we learned that quickly. And then so you, you, you put focus around organizational structure and getting that correct and getting the right people and then you go through your continuously go through your values and then you evolve through that process with with EOS. Did your values change over time or did those get pretty well established early in the in the process? So in the beginning I think we had 3 of the 4 core values that we have today. And what we started to understand was <clears throat> There, when I talked a little bit earlier about some of the di dichotomies in our core values and how that was important, like I said, somebody that's very structured, process-oriented, maybe fits really well as an extreme owner type mentality, but they struggle on the curiosity side. And, and it was important to us to have that balance in our core values. And so as we started to dig into those folks that exhibited those core values, there was this natural thing around curiosity within them, how they went out and pursued different technologies and brought those into the company and took ownership of bringing those things into, into the light that became apparent. So most of them were there, but we, we added another one along the way. That's, that's good to know because I think it's, it's evolutionary. That's the thing about the business. The business is evolutionary. It's not to say that your values are going to change, but you're going to find a missing component sometime, or maybe we have too many values. I've seen other companies, all of a sudden they have seven or eight values. It's now starting to get to what are the core, what's the underlying values that are really important to them. So sometimes there's an evolution to really find the right pieces because not everybody gets it right the first time, not a hundred percent. I'd love to talk to the people that do. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not easy. Right. It's, it's a, and that's what we find with our clients. It's a lot of work. It's really hard work. But when they go through this process, there's a couple of things that come out of that is they understand why they work together well, because their values are shared. And two, they get to know each other at a, at again, a more foundational level as far as who, who what's important to them versus starting out with numbers and clients and technical stuff, which often gets caught up in the same planning to say, oh, let's just have goals around these things and not and lose sight of who we really are and, and who we need to be. 
Yeah. And some of that journey that we found along the way was some, there was an individual or two that came into the organization who we thought was a great fit. And they said they, they were exhibiting those values or behaviors around those values. But it's really hard to understand if that's at their core because you either possess those values or don't. It's pretty hard to fake it. And it usually, it comes out over time. So we found that a few people really wanted to be a part of this, but they just didn't have the fit. And it was just like oil and water after a while. And then we're like, okay, this just isn't going to work. As much as we'd like it to work, you have a different perception of the values of this company that just don't fit. And so we moved on and yeah. How does that show up? Is it conflict between people or is it just daily actions or? I think it's daily actions and driving a direction that might not be in, in the same direction as the rest of the team. So, I mean, I think it's important to have conflict and a diversity of thought and different ideas and that whole thing. But everybody pretty much needs to be going the same direction to gain traction. And when somebody has a very different view and they bury that down inside them just to be a part of the team and keep going. And then they slowly start pulling that view out, that thought out into view through their actions with their people. Then you, all of a sudden you start having a team going the wrong direction. And then the light bulb goes off. It's like, Oh, Whoa, wait, what's going on here? And so you dive into that and understand that. And then you sit down and have a heart to heart with them and, they're like, I, I believe things should go this way. And I just can't get past the fact that things need to go this way. And so we talk about that and it's, it's not, it's, it comes down to that's either part of who we are or want to be, or it's not. And it wasn't. So. I like the way you articulate that. It's not a common thing. Yeah. So it kind of, kind of I, to talk to me a little more specifically about that. Once the leadership team was formed, I was the in the visionary role. And uh, actually at one time I was the visionary integrator for a while and we found a, a really great integrator that fit the company, brought that person in. I spent probably 16 to 18 months with that person really working with them heavily and driving in the values and the, the ways of thoughts of the business and operating in that visionary role where I'm going out working big relationships and, working on the picture of the company moving forward and the direction we should go. And through that process, we got the integrator in place and good and solid and then and went out looking for a new visionary. And for the, looking through, looking back at that, it was, let's say, put this, that was the last probably hardest transition because that really was the job that I enjoyed the best in the company. And personified a lot of what the company was about. And there was a little bit of a kind of a head check from a lot of people internally in the organization. Like, why are you leaving us? And I'm like, I'm not leaving you. I mean, I am to a degree, but I'm just putting the company in a better position moving forward. Because I really did a lot of soul searching and figured out that I love technology, but I did not have a passion for it anymore. And we really needed to have somebody in that seat that had a passion for finding the new next biggest thing, the right direction to head down and putting in all the work and effort that involved is involved with that. 
So I had to think about, I had to separate myself from the company's uh, myself from the company and put the company above myself and say, okay, what's in the best interest of allowing this thing to move forward that will provide for the families that are within the business that I, you know, cared so deeply about. And it just arrived at the fact that somebody else needed to come in and take that rain over. So found a great individual. He's been with the company for uh, a little over a year now. And working his way into the picture with the integrator. And the, the, and even through that process, there was a little bit of uh, a learning curve. I had to, I had to bring, I had to allow the team to have a voice in the hiring of this visionary. But at the same time, I also had to have somebody that I felt comfortable with replacing myself. And so there was a balance there around giving them the appropriate amount of voice to bring that person in and, al- and allowing myself to have opinion about it as well even though I was going to be there I mean their opinion was pretty pretty important to me the 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 right type of person who thought about culture and the value of the people and that sort of thing was really a big deal to me so I believe we got the right person in place and and so part of that process is when they come in and there's a a shared power level with the new CEO, with the integrator, the integrator is kind of one of the ones, the internal facing of the company. And so there was this dynamic where the team actually hired their boss. And so the boss had to, I say boss is a bad word, leader. They had, the leader had to build that rapport with that team before he could shift that power a little bit back towards the visionary direction. And so there was a time period where there was not a lot of innovation and forward thinking thought going on. And now we're full circle with that, where he's starting to put impress upon the company more of the vision that he sees for the future. And so that was a whole another shift. And we're really at the beginning phases of that. So with all that going on, I'm stepping out, I'm starting to do, you know, bi-weekly meetings with the visionary and the integrator. And then we moved to monthly and now we're at quarterly and we're still working on building a good agenda to stay in touch with the company, but allow me to separate. And and I think along the way with that, Bob, the, one of the important things was I needed to find something else that pulled me out of the company that I was passionate about. And that's a lot of what I'm doing today with uh, Culture Acceleration Group. <clears throat> Just a comment before we go get into the Culture Acceleration Group, which I, th- I really want to dig into. One, your awareness to be able to step back and recognize just being self-aware of I'm not the best person to lead this company to the future because of whatever reason. It'd be multiple reasons for any owner out there. But then being able to step back and say there's really key components here. And a big part of this is, one, you've, you've built a great organization with great people there. They need to have ownership in who comes in and need to buy into that so significantly. But having that integrator role, that, like I said, that inward facing, how do I make this company run as fine as it can? And bringing in that person who's really looking at the future, being the visionary, and that's the role that you've been, you've liked both of those roles. Turning the vision over to someone is a major, that's a major leap of faith. Yeah. <clears throat> I think 
when you go through that process, they talk about in EOS letting go of the vine. There's a lot of self-reflection and things that you do to become more self-aware of what who you are and what you want to who you what you are and what is really important to you. And I'm also part of an organization called Strategic Coach, and they have some tools that kind of lended itself to additionally enhancing that tools like Unique Ability and some other things. And so it was a lot of learning and self-reflection and really figuring out what do I want to do beyond data vision and finding something that I was passionate about and pulling me that direction. And so I know the visionary role is going to continue to evolve within data vision. And I'm confident that the person we have in place is going to move things in the right direction. And I'll have some oversight from a very high level around the progress around that. So I'll keep, still keep my temperature around it, but I, that's what it'll be as a check-in. And so as I looked at through the unique ability, part of my unique abilities is building great teams and understanding people you know, deeply and understanding the different types of personalities. It's kind of interesting. We, you know, we know at Data Vision, we never did a lot of personality testing. And because we built into the people that were in the organization, everybody's understood each other really well. And that was an important thing is understand the person. But as we started going through the personality assessments, it, it piqued my attention. It's like, I really enjoy understanding people at that level. And so I started to go down the, the path of executive coaching, went through the training program through IPEC. And that was another journey of really self-awareness as of figuring out like how I operate with people and how I could be better around operating people, asking more about asking the right questions instead of having the answers. And so as I gone through the, went through that process, I, I just honed in on really the fact that I really enjoy building teams. I really enjoy working at a high level with teams. I love not being in the weeds, but helping support the team and give direction where needed. And I feel like that's my sweet spot. That's where I need to be. And so I thought, okay, how do we take that type of culture that we've built at DataVision and spread that? in other companies. And that's where Culture Acceleration Group grew out of. And so I joined up with Kylie Ansarud, who's got a doctorate in leadership and organizational psychology. I, I always get that confused. There's She can explain it better than me, but her, part of her thesis was on brain science. And so we've really dove into the, the human element of how businesses operate and built some, in my opinion, some very good processes around evaluating organizations and really helping them understand not only where they're at, but if they want to get to a certain goal level, how is where they're at and where they need to be going to affect where they need to, how they get to where their goals are. I met a gentleman who's also the chairman of a fairly significant sized company in Northern Ohio. And he used a different term. He, he, he focused on mindset. He said, you know, that's that element of in order to get to the next level, your mindset has to change. And as a organization, it's your culture doesn't necessarily change, but it, it elevates. What do you find it as, you know, when you're talking with executives? Why are they challenged with it or do they struggle? They know they want to get to the next level, but they just don't understand how this might apply. I think you brought up a key point around what you just mentioned earlier, and that's the, the mindset. 
and uh, I would agree with your the the person that you had mentioned earlier. The, your mindset does have to change. It has change and grow, and you really have to have an attitude of learning all the time. I think for it to be to put yourself in that that right mindset, you really have to check your ego and say, okay, I've got more things I need to learn. And it's we've gotten to this point, but to get to that next level, I need to think differently, like you, like you mentioned. And I need to look at resources that will allow me to think differently. So that's some of the things around diving into Strategic Coach and their program and some other things that kind of pulled my thinking at a very dramatically different level that allowed 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 things to progress. But I think around culture, I mean, I think you're right. The culture is the basically the collection of interactions and thoughts inside the organization and how people treat people. I think that's just a collection of those things that kind of culminates. And the thing that surprised me is, or surprises me to this day, is how quickly that can change. And it can change if one person that maybe has some negative views about the company or whatnot goes into a certain position and then maybe that person's let go and those changes affect the inside of the organization in in a way how the leadership team handles that and handles those communications is really important to evolving the or keeping the culture intact for the organization to continue to evolve and so what we focus on at culture acceleration group is helping keep that focus in place. So through fractional roles and continuous assessments, the right time says, this is one other thing we find is a lot of organizations really key in on these point in time assessments, which are fine, but they're also just a point in time assessment. So if everybody got a big raise all of a sudden, and then you've done this assessment, of course, your results are going to be great. And so you take that into context. And I think with my partner's background as a doctorate, she learned a lot about the scientific method and research. And so when we go in and do an analysis, we pull all that data together and really concentrate on looking at it objectively. So those interviews aren't, we're not picking up on keywords and maybe her or the way she's feeling emotionally or whatever during that day doesn't affect her view of those results. We're coming back and we're feeding into a system to analyze keywords and the commonality of the words and building themes and presenting that back to the organization. And so that's a lot deeper process than a, than a point in time survey. <clears throat> I, I like what you're, you're saying there because this is, you can't get caught up into how someone is saying something. You've got to get to the underlying piece of what are they really trying to communicate? What are they really trying to convey? What's underlying? What's not being said? You can hear what's not being said. What is it that's not being said? And how do you do it in such a way that doesn't lead them? You know, when you go through that process is... Yeah. So she developed this, but, and it came through her process of getting her doctorate, learning a lot more about the scientific method and being more objective and around this and... So when we discussed approaching the interviews that we do within an organization, we really leave it pretty open-ended. We don't go in there with predefined questions, and so that's important. And so we just listen and start gaining trust in that interview process. And at some point, 
people just start opening up and they we don't have to ask the questions. They're they're telling us what's going on. What are all the good things? And, and most of the time it's not people can gravitate to the negative, but there's a lot of positive that gets shared in those those result those interviews that we bring out in the organization. Because when we present, it's taking a lot of those positive things and building upon them. But anyway, there's a, so it's just an open dialogue. I mean, I remember she told me one time, she's like, she was working with this one lady going through this process and could just tell. And that's part of her understanding of people and reading people that she just wasn't telling every, telling us every, telling her everything she wanted to say. And about 40 minutes into the interview, it finally happened. And she started saying some more things and it opened up. And so you get that deeper conversation. You get some things like around like what's not being said, that that type of stuff. And then we record all the interviews. And as part of the process, we feed him up into a system for analysis. She reviews the interviews a second time. So there's no, you know, this point in time emotional factor in her life affecting what she's hearing analysis. So, yeah. We could probably spend hours talking about that. You hinted at a bit a little bit earlier about standing back and, and observing. What is it that maybe you can share with someone to say, these are the things that you need to do? Now, that's a great question. As I look back, probably the biggest thing I mentioned earlier was around the fact that I didn't have the type of passion that the business deserved. And thinking through that, it's... It, I've met with uh, <clears throat> business owners here recently and talking through some of this a little bit more, the, the commonality of it is around passion. And it, it's not just the passion of looking into the future or talking to customers or doing some of the things that you do as an owner. It's really being part of the organization and doing the things that you did in the first, we'll say, 10 years of operating or wherever you're at in your journey in the first part where you're building those relationships inside the business and really working on understanding those people and where they wanted to go and helping them get there. And I think the commonality is around, you just kind of, you get tired and you get not so passionate about that anymore. And I don't know that's a fault of of anyone, I think we just evolve as people and we want something more. We want something different. I have a very, you know, visionary type personality. So my thoughts wander quite a bit. And probably even in this interview, <laughs> I've scattered my thoughts quite a bit, but it's, it's really around that passion, I think is the big key. And just sitting there and thinking to yourself, maybe taking a time away and just saying, do I have the passion to continue to push through the the gritty situations and do it in a way that I represent the team and give them what they need out of me as a leader on a daily basis. Great input and great insight. Kelly, I greatly appreciate our time today. I'm sure some people are going to find some nuggets in this. I can't say enough about having known you and having worked with you in the past. You're your care and concern to do the right thing for your people, for your community, for your family has always been top of mind. And so that tends to play out in what you're doing now is trying to help others and being that to help sometimes others to see another vision or a broader or more defined vision, whatever it needs to be for them. So yeah, thank you, no, Kelly. I Greatly appreciate it. it.
Absolutely. Thanks, Bob. I was going to say is uh, thank you, and this has been a really interesting conversation. I love talking about this topic because it's, it's interesting. You mentioned that the fact that it is rare that somebody's gone through this process, but holding that value of the people of your organization and always ha- not always having the mindset that there's like you got to get out of the business to have some happiness around what you built. I think there's other options that people need to explore when they're looking at this. You don't always have to sell. And and they're giving back, giving the opportunity back to the people inside the company has been a really fulfilling thing for me to be able to do. So thanks for uh, bringing all these topics up. Thank you, Kelly. And, and, and often what I find is that after I say thank you, a golden nugget really comes through and you just delivered that it's you did this for others, even though you benefit out of it too. That's and right. That's a great insight. So thank right. you. Thank you.